Welcome back, everyone. S1E1, episode seven. For those of you who aren't familiar with our format yet, every week we pick a different sitcom and watch just its first televised episode. At the end of our episode, we decide if that's a show that we want to greenlight or cancel based on just that first episode alone. This week, we will be watching Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers was a show that originally aired in 1975 on BBC Two. Faulty Towers went two seasons with a total of 12 episodes, and episode one was called A Touch of Class. That's what we'll be talking about today. So to get things started, I'm Jay Gags. With me, as always, the boys, Gordo, Nick, Joe, and Ferg. What's up, guys? Hey, hello. Hello. Gin and orange, lemon squash. <laughs> Scotch and water, please. I meant to write those down, and I think I, I completely forgot, but... You know why I didn't? Because I knew Joe would. <laughs> Predictable, if nothing else. So this show here is our oldest show we've done, obviously, 1975. Kind of typical British style where it was short seasons. So it's like, like I said, before 12 episodes, but uh, stretched into two seasons. That's like the UK office was the exact same. A lot of UK shows, very short seasons. Tell that to Doctor Who. I will. Uh, I'll tell the doctor. A lot of time in between two, right? Like that's a thing that maybe not so much now, but for British shows for a long time, you do a season and then you don't do another season for a few years. Things it's not the same sort of uh, like I said, Common America seems to be we do a season the next fall, another season. Like yeah, this I show had five years they, in between seasons. I wonder if they go by a different like criteria. Like, do they need to do their you know pilots and stuff the same way that we do and stuff like that? I wonder if it's just a different system altogether. Yeah, I don't really have any like back info about that. You know, only exposed to like the shows that really take off there. So we're not as familiar, or at least I'm not as familiar with how things tend to go over there. I know the BBC is like publicly funded by their government. I don't know if that like affects anything, but everything's this, paid for. At this point, too, there's only a few channels, right? So if there's only BBC one, two, and three, or whatever it was at the point, right? There's not a like widespread cable like America would have started to have. Yeah, and even this. when you when you go back to 1975, though, even here we didn't have a ton of channels yet. Like cable was just in its infancy, really. So. That's true, too. I'm just wondering if that's the reason. Maybe like, hey, you got a year, do your show, and then next year somebody else is going to do something else, and then we'll yeah, come back to you. We'll circle back. You'd almost expect them to have more episodes to fill the content unless they had a ton of rotating shows. But I don't know. Moving on, the intro, uh, not really much to it. Really quick, just title screen. What, you know, that typical kind of classical music you would kind of associate with like an old London. Uh, so not really much to go by there as far as telling you what kind of show we're getting into. And it opens up with guy sitting behind the desk at what looks like a kind of a B&B or a small style like boutique hotel. And uh, Basil was his name. Any in initial thoughts from catching that early on? What what you thought, you know? I love the hotel. I love the look of it. I mean, right. This is t 10 years before we were born in a different country. So it's, it's you know, very quaint. I love um, you know, the look of the hotel and just how sort of simplistic everything was. Yeah, I, I love that style personally. It's almost like a small castle in the middle of nowhere. You know, like gray skies suck, but for some reason it works in those areas. You know, I'm sure blue skies would be better, but Ideally. also, yeah, the initial it's tough to the it's tough to look past John Cleese because he's such an icon. So yeah. like he's done so much. And, um, you know, he's popped up in things like Harry Potter and stuff like that as recent as that. So you kind of know, like, I'm a fan of his, too. So I kind of had uh, a, an expectation out of the show and I pretty much got what I was expecting out of him anyways. So, oh, yeah. And just to, I guess to go back to that. Has anybody not seen it before? Because we forgot to ask that. Oh, right, so. right. I forgot to ask. So, uh, I have never seen it before. This this was the first nor time. have I. Really? Oh. Berg. 
Never, I never even heard of it until it was presented to me for the show. All right, so Gordon and I have watched it. I was going to say the shoe was on the other foot. Finally, <laughs> yes, you had um, to go to uh, across the pond to find one. I was going to say, did you guys know Faulty Towers was ranked number one on the British Film Institute's for the list of their 100 greatest TV programs? Interesting. I would like to see All that other list. Did you recognize anything on that on the rest of that list? No, because I read the Wikipedia article. That's no, okay. what it told me. Um, <laughs> what number same, was Are You Being Served? I don't know. I didn't read the list. You didn't know. You only thought. You only know that it was ranked number one. And I only know it was ranked number one, and that Basil Fawlty was number two on the 100 greatest British TV characters. Now, where is this exactly? This is actually something I should know. Uh, I meant to look it up. Where is this in? John Cleese's career as far as like, uh, you know, Monty Python and stuff goes. Is this before, during? It's about five it's years after. After, yeah. Okay. But Monty Python, again, as a troop, right? Like they would always do stuff here and there. And the way the TV schedules, like we were saying, worked, I think they would still pop in and do things every once in a while. But this was um, right. like his first like alone starring role. <clears throat> and he wrote it and starting it with his wife, who's, um, uh, what's the character's Sybil. name? Sybil. Sybil, yeah. Wife. Sybil, yeah. Who's the sort of waitress uh, employee there. I'll tell you no, this. No, that's though. his wife. One no, of my Sybil is the is is it the waitress Polly or oh sorry Polly it... Polly's his wife in real life yeah and they wrote oh, it together okay. oh Polly's his wife in real life yeah oh, oh interesting wow. what's what's the age difference yeah she was seemed Bast. young <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's famous um, and he's yeah. funny that's all you need sometimes <laughs> yeah famous you just need famous really because we know good looking isn't on that list <laughs> he's a <laughs> uh, an interesting he's looking so, fellow he's so great looking though you know what I mean like he he's so charactery. Yeah, I mean, it helps that he's like seven feet tall, too. Yeah, he's seven feet tall. He's crazy skinny. And his hair just keeps getting crazier and crazier through the episode. But not out of a purpose way. He just starts looking like Sonic the Hedgehog after a while. And it's super funny. (laughs) Yeah. So let's uh, let's dig into the episode itself a little bit. So starting off, like I said before, it's just him behind the desk. A couple of phone calls, a couple of quick jokes. First couple jokes didn't really hit with me. But I will preface this by saying a lot of like British style comedy doesn't always hit with me. But I thought the first couple jokes were a little forced. It was, I don't know, nothing was really working for me super, super early. But uh, we meet the, um, the I don't know what you would call him. What was Manuel? Like he was kind of a, just a, like a waiter and a bellhop. Yeah. I have uh, something about him that I want to talk about when you're done. Are we going to talk about how he was a thousand percent not of like Spanish descent at all? No, he's Italian. (laughs) No, they said he was from from Barcelona in the show. Yeah, he's supposed to be from Barcelona. Yeah, I know, but I mean, oh, I thought you you meant the, the person. Well, that's what I'm saying. The character oh, right. of Manuel oh, yes. is supposed to be from Barcelona. And yes. as soon as he walks out, you're like, this is not a Spanish gentleman at all. No. So I the the absolute first thing I really thought about this show is that if this show was made today, he would be Fred Armisen. I have that in my notes. <laughs> that, the, the next thing in my notes is Fred Armisen would play him today 100% is the next line of my notes. The only, <laughs> other, the only other person that uh, came to mind other than him would be like maybe Rob Schneider as well. There I'll take be... Schneider over Armisen. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sick of Fred Armisen. It would depend on the genre everything. of that movie <laughs> yeah. or that show when they yeah. made it. Like if it yeah, was a can't be out... Adam Sandler thing, it would be fucking Schneider. Yeah. Either one. Yeah, if it was the nineties, it would be Schneider. Sure. If it was now, it'd be Armisen. And he'd have right. some story about like how cool he was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So I, I, had, I, it's funny you said it. Cause I had the same exact thing written down. Fred Armisen. Uh, that was the first thing that came to mind when he popped up. All I could think about the rest of the show too. I don't know. Again, 
a lot of the stuff didn't didn't really hit for me. I mean, early the, were the early jokes all working for you guys? It's just am I looking at it with different eyes? The thing the thing with him was the joke made, of him not understanding English made me laugh at first, but they really ran it to the ground by the end of the thing. The point yeah. is, like, I get it. He doesn't understand, and it was like, yeah, I don't know if it's like a British into, thing, I mean, but the beginning was funny when he was trying to speak. Yeah, it, but yeah, yeah I, bit, I could see it getting getting repetitive. And I we'll think a big part about this show is is a uh, repetition, but also just constant jokes, right? Like John Cleese is, there's a joke. Every, my no, this is the most notes I've ever written on a show because so many things happened that I was writing down. He's something funny is happening or, you know, if you find it funny or not, whatever, but there's something happening in this show every second. There's not one wasted minute. So if you're, if a joke doesn't land, they don't even give you the moment to think about it not landing because they're on to the next one right away. And I think that some of them hit, some of them don't. Yeah. So what I noticed with this show in general, is one thing they did do a good job of is a lot of those jokes they, they keep going to. It's a, kind of a cycle. There was like, you know, a good like handful, maybe like five or six different running themes that kept coming back over and over. The hanging of the picture, that, uh, and a few others. And we'll get into more of the uh, Manuel-Basil uh, dynamic as we get on with the show. But yeah, that was kind of a, my early impression of that was I understand like, you know, he took the job, but if there's no communication between them that they don't understand each other at all, it's like, how did he even get the job to begin with? It was what? cheap. He even said that and it's, yeah. it's cheap labor. And yeah. uh, at that time, that wasn't a, a slight, I guess. It also shows a little bit too, because they try to play that, you know, Basil, he wants the higher class people in there. Right. And I think by hiring somebody, by knowing, by him saying he can speak a different language, he seems like he's a classier guy. Well, I can speak Spanish. I'll train him. I'll teach him English. Because he's trying to put on airs that he's you know, better he says, than he actually is. He says he speaks some weird dialect he's never heard of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, that, that was one of those quick rapid fire jokes. I laughed at. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of too. the the misses I thought with the show was um the the underlying desire for him to want a better class of person in the in the hotel but he he was so frustrated by everybody regardless yeah and then it, but and it was just like well if you're gonna be a dick to everybody then nobody's gonna come here anyways but and then you realize that the the lord who comes he is like overtly nice to him so he is just being a dick to the class of people he but doesn't not, want not there. at first that wasn't until um, when he finds out his name, when he had him fill out the sheet, and and that's and that's a few minutes away. So before he even comes in, we have um the guy who's only we only know him as Mr. Brown at that point comes in with a leather jacket. Again, like you said, Basil, a complete dick to him. The second he walks in, tells him he doesn't have an available room. And his wife comes in and says, yes, we do room sevens available. So he's kind of like stuck in a situation where he now has to check him in. And another thing I noticed early on in the episode and that continued through is like the dynamic between him and his wife, the, like the power dynamic, like I couldn't understand it. He was very like subservient to his wife and like what she demands of him, but she also wasn't very involved and like ever helping do things within the hotel so she'd be like basil go help these people or go do this but then when things were like awry and he's running in 50 directions at once she doesn't like take over anything so it was is she in charge yeah, she wasn't she wasn't likable at all i oh, think I she was wife. she i think she was more of a plot device to you know be the catalyst for him being funny yeah I did, like I liked how like in between all of the things she was telling him to do, like it always circled back to hanging the picture. Like that was like the buffer yeah. in between mm -hmm. jokes was like rehanging the picture. Every it was time. one of those callback things, but yeah. I just never. This understood is the Jimmy the James pick it up. Yes. Well, I was going to say yep. I was going to say, too, that that the wife is the one that's actually picking up all of his messes, because as you see later on in the, in the yep. episode, you know, he, he doesn't talk to one person and it's the wife checking them in. 
so she's kind of the, I think the brains behind the operation, so to speak, versus it him. comes off that way. Yeah. I, I, have that, I, just, I have that in my notes too. I have um, him being in charge is an illusion. It's really all her. Like she's the one who doesn't listen to him about well, she, going into the safe and stuff and finds the bricks and the thing. All right. That. Yep. But, we'll but she get kept to demanding it. things of him, but seldom did you see her actually doing the work and, you know, not to keep skipping ahead too much, but like, you know, the, the joke, uh, Joe started off with talking about the drinks, which comes off later in the episode. The guy was asking for drinks 50 times. She was standing there at the bar. She could have made the drinks too. And when he was running right. back and forth and he had like a legitimate reason at that point to run off. Yeah. And again, not to get too ahead. Cause that's a bulk of what happens later. I mean, this but, whole thing speaks to service, right? He's not very good at his job, but this is not exactly the place you want to go to order or drink or orders and food it's right, yeah. uh i also i also noted that none of this would work today with yelp existing <laughs> like, when people are more hyper aware yeah because right now it's just like, this one yeah anybody work. can be a critic yep i, I was also going to say that like i i've been in basil's position before as one of my jobs and like i just identify with him not so much as the as the being short with your guests but the, I need to write the menu. Oh, somebody's calling me to go over here. Oh, I got to go hang a picture. Oh, maintenance yeah. wants me over here. Oh, look at that. I got to answer a phone and talk to a contractor. So I, I totally get like, I identify with them. And it, it's funny to me because that's like literally your day-to-day -day activities as a manager as a ho of a hotel. You don't get to sit back and just say, I'm going to sit down and do this and, you know, screw it and close the door. And that's that. I right. think, you know, yeah, I think they did a good job of accurately portraying the frustrations of, you know, really any work day. Yeah, yeah one thing to like, another without finishing the first thing. And it's it, it, they did a good job of that. There's a lot of running back and forth. And he was like constantly needing to do three things at once. But, you know, like the being short with people, because we had mentioned Mr. Brown comes in and he's just trying to check in and he's just instantly an asshole to him. And you're like I, that. I didn't really understand why. Initially, I didn't like, get that uh, either. Oh, so he, the scene right before that, the where his wife and him are talking about the advertising that he put out in the paper. And he says, oh, I'm trying to advertise to a higher class of people to keep the riffraff out. And as soon as he said, keep the riffraff out, Mr. Brown is standing there in the leather jacket looking like your atypical, you know, riffraff of that time. That's right, because like it's 75, right? So a guy comes in, motorcycle jacket, fairly long hair. White sports you know. car. Yeah, he talks about having a sports car. He's got a Cockney accent. He's not posh sounding, right? He's the exact opposite of what Cleese wants to come into the hotel or Basil wants to come into the hotel. And now he immediately has to do it because he can't, he has to fight the, do I want this guy's money versus, you know, not mm -hmm. putting up the upper crust I want to be. I'm 100% positive that Hulk Hogan owns a jacket just like that. Because <laughs> he's also... like black with the red and yellow lining throughout the whole thing uh, it's like that's all i could think of for you know a few minutes completely distracted me at the time <laughs> just thinking that hulk hogan probably owns his jacket it's much I more think... florida than seas like seaside florida than seaside england yeah <laughs> but but you know i think the whole being brash with people might be uh like a cultural gap that we don't really understand i think they might just generally be more dickish to each other than we are in general uh so as i was reading about this show cleese got the inspiration from staying at another hotel with Monty Python earlier during their travels. And the hotel owner didn't want any, the guests were a hindrance to this particular hotel owner. And so that's where the wheels started turning and the Basil character was um, based on. Yeah, I believe Cleese said he was the rudest man he's ever met. Yes, uh, yes. Wow. <laughs> 
I love that when someone can take a, you know, that's a real chicken shit, chicken salad scenario, right? Like some guy just does this awful thing to you. You have some terrible time in some hotel and then you turn it into, you know, something like this versus the last time I had a bad experience in a hotel, I was just mad about it. And that's a total John Cleese move, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure 99% of his material comes from, you know, observational comedy. Yeah, that's a lot of comedy in general. And then, but in that Mr. Brown scene where it was, so now he's, He's being checked in because the wife exposed that the room was available. Manuel comes back in again where Manuel doesn't understand Basil and and they're doing the back and forth. We come to find out Mr. Brown speaks Spanish. So they're able to communicate and that resolves that issue. And he speaks it perfectly. And John Cleese hates that because he's (laughs) been shown up again. Yes. That made me laugh. That that, that scene made me laugh. Shown up by someone who he's already deemed a lesser class than him. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then we move into the um, like the restaurant area, which I did like the way that it was kind of set up with this. You know, there were kind of like just three sets that we were working off of, with the exception of a couple outdoor scenes. Yeah. And it was like to the left was the bar, then there's the main area, and then to the right was the restaurant. And it very much kind of came off like almost like you could just visualize it panning out and seeing like the the sitcom style where just like three rooms were there, and then like you know you'd see the lights on top. But it was I like. Love- Oh, please go ahead. I was just going to say to that, I love that you don't see any of the rooms. I love that this entire episode takes place in the bar, the lobby, and the restaurant. You don't end up in any, like, it doesn't take away from where you're at and who's, like, whose idea of what's going on it should be, the perspective. Yeah, all the focus was on the acting, really. Yeah. And I thought, even with the limited sets, they did a good job of portraying the hotel looked like, you know, a standard kind of small-style boutique hotel. The restaurant, like, very reminiscent to places I've been before, you know, that simple style where they're doing, like, the continent breakfast when we see that we get we enter into like manuel gets called in again and it's manuel doesn't speak english version three like it was just like the third time they went to that joke in the first few minutes and it resulted in manuel throwing a grapefruit at the head of another customer which was like that that got the first real (laughs) laugh out of me in the whole episode though i knew that would be a ferg laugh yeah i laughed too but i knew that'd be a ferg laugh it was funny and like i like i got a laugh out of it but then it was also like it just made no sense to me at the same time where it was just like why i understand that they don't speak the same language at this point because you've really dove in into it like multiple times but there's just no way a functioning adult despite not knowing what the person's telling him to do would think that oh he's probably asking me to throw this grapefruit at the head of another person like there's no way yeah but he's, he's yelling at him. he's going throw it now 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 so you go okay now and throws it <laughs> i also partly think like i don't know because i haven't seen any more of this show so i don't even have to pretend i feel like like he's fucking with them like he understands more than he he that's a possibility yeah 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 i mean you you have to erase the i've seen all 12 episodes but i can't (laughs) i can't use that in this so so after that scene we go back to the main area and now we have a second person trying to check in and this was like a little bit of an inconsistency thing with me too like we get that same like basil's rude and we come to find out that this is a man of like a stature he's a lord in the area so as soon as he finds out that he's of the class that he wants in the hotel he's a bit nicer to him but when mr brown came in it was instantly like we don't have rooms he's equally as dickish to this guy when he first walks in but it was like hey do you have any rooms and he's like do we have any rooms yeah of course we have room it's the complete opposite argument so now he's just yeah 
now he's yelling at him for the idea of like, uh, no, we're not full. We're not full. Like, I don't know. I, it was just flagged in my head as I'm watching. I'm like, I don't know why you're going one way with one, one with the other. You're just being rude to everybody. And like, you're supposed to be the character that we're getting behind. Right. Like, and you're just being a dick to everybody in the first few minutes of the show. See, yeah. my take on that is this is taxi driver. This is falling down or for more modern one, I guess, observe and report, right? Like this is a guy at work who hates his job. Then you're slowly watching him completely unravel. And yeah. eventually, so it's not so much that why is he being a dickhead to this guy? He's being a dickhead because he couldn't eat his toast. He's being a dickhead because he keeps trying to hang up this picture. It's just building up the, the stuff with Manuel. I think that part of the sort of rapid fire, the stuff that doesn't hit in the beginning becomes funnier as the show goes along because you're piecing together that just this guy's having the worst day of his life and you know how it's going to end. Yeah. Or at least, you know, it's going to end completely terribly. Right. And obviously we'll get to that. But I, I really enjoy this. Like, I want to be a dickhead to this guy. I want him to fl- flip on his wife. I want him to be mean to everybody because I want to see it escalate to a point where, you know, he's boiling over why because, you know, it'll eventually explode. Why was like, why didn't his wife let him eat the t- like that was another like, why can't he just eat his toast at the time? He was just sitting in the back office trying to have a quick piece. Like, I don't know. I think it was was listening to that racket back there. That's why. Yeah, she was just on him in the beginning of the episode. She's always like, you know, you should be doing this and then you need to be doing this. And then so if he's if he's doing none of those things, regardless of the action, then she was going to get mad about it. Yeah, I just felt like, you know, I said it earlier with like the trying to understand the power dynamic between the two of them. And it was like, I understand that she stays on top of him so he can do things, but maybe he should have been, maybe they should have put him in a position where he was doing something a little more outlandish that she needs to like, riot, like reel him back in a little bit instead of just trying to have his breakfast real quick. Like, I don't know that, that one, that one to me was, it, I don't understand why she was I, bothering him there. I think she has to stay on him or he won't do these things. Like how he forgot the wake up call at the very beginning. It's yeah. Like he's and he, he never made the menu. Yeah, that's a good point. He's he's aloof. But also, I like the idea of all these little things, right? Because it's not somebody goes into work and their coffee had the wrong kind of milk in it and they go crazy. It's that happened a hundred times, right? These little escalations (laughs) that make a person freak out. And you're watching this guy just get to the very end of it. And we're seeing one day. We have no idea what the last 300 looked like. Right. So um, once we find out that this guy is of some sort of stature, he's obviously a lot nicer to him instantly and starts giving him the world. So now you see him kind of turning on the charm and because he's getting the type of guy he wants there. So now like he has to put in that extra effort. So we end up back in the dining area. where We get a little bit of physical comedy there where he's trying to sit him at uh, at the window table and accidentally pulls the chair out from him and he falls and then i don't know why he he just smacks manuel in the head like (laughs) (laughs) manuel takes a serious wrestling bump too i love it it was just like but why did he smack manuel in the head what what what, what did he have to do with that whole situation because again it's the escalation he's starting to lose it he's just so close to the end wrong place wrong time also i mean consider too how basil considers his lower class of people in the uh in like his guests i mean and now like how he must think of Manuel at that point too. You know what I mean? Like he's a very uh, class-based guy. He must not really respect Manuel that much at the end of the day, I don't think. Yeah, but to assault him? (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes you need to hit someone. The scene too, right before this is when he, when Manuel won't get the luggage, he can't figure that out. So you see John Cleese run outside to go get the luggage at the car and just him running out of the, out of the uh, house. It's also a very Uncle Phil throwing jazz, uh, jazz out of the house for the way it's <laughs> yeah. framed and everything. Yeah. And just, I, I think some of the best stuff Cleese does in this episode are the two scenes where he's outside of the hotel. It's just that scene actually bugged me though, because this dude took his stuff out of the car, walked it up two flights of stairs and then just left it in front of the door. 
Why couldn't you just bring it in? Because it's a fancy hotel. You yeah, I, yeah, I guess that's it. it. Yeah, fancy I don't know if that's customary or not. Because the other guy who who um the leather jacket guy, he says that all the stuff's in the car still. Yeah. So it's strange that the Lord would do more work than the sort of cockney sounding guy. Right, but the Lord may not have had a vehicle with him. Maybe he got dropped off and then had to walk his stuff up. That's possible too. Yeah, he may have taken a cab or something. Because if you know you have a car to leave stuff in, that's one thing. An Uber. You just leave your bags in the middle of the street and walk away because then they're unattended completely and anyone can grab them. And if you guys could explain to me, I was a little confused by this. So then it was, um, he asked him the, the, what was his name again? Lord what? Melbury. 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 Yeah. So Lord Melbury asks um, Basil to cast a check for him so he could go out. And so he has cash with him. And like, I understood that concept, but I was a little confused by Basil's reaction. Like he seemed like excited to do it. Like it was like good for him, but it doesn't under normal circumstances, cashing a check for someone doesn't affect you. Like unless you charge a fee, like it didn't really matter. Right. I think it's the class of going to the bank with a check that's from the Lord, you know, saying, Hey, this guy's here. I need you to do this favor for me and cash this check because I've got this high class person because he has to go into town right <laughs> which i think even it's a small town going into town seems like a big deal to him see i see, didn't I... read i didn't read it like that i didn't think he was excited i think he was acting excited but i i took it as he didn't have the money so it was a big deal for him to do that and he was that's what i thought yeah. i agree too well i think that escalated though because at first he's like yeah i can sign i can cash you a check and he says a, a small amount of money like 30 pounds or something and then he's like, well, how about 100? And once it starts escalating, that's when he starts freaking out. Yeah, he doesn't like have that money on him. 200. So, but even initially, it was like, oh, yes. Uh, I don't know. It was when he first asked him to, like, can you cash checks? He's like, yeah, I yeah, think he, yeah. I think initially he was, it was supposed to be as if he was expecting a, a very large sum of money and was worried that that was going to be the case. And then when he said a low sum of money, he said, oh, okay, I can handle that. Maybe how about a little bit more, too? And, and See, I think I'm just worried up front. I was going to say, too, that you have to remember it's set in 1975. So if the British economy is anything like the American economy, three dollars in think think of a hundred dollars in 1975. You know, it would be the same. It would be like a thousand dollars. Now you'd be like, oh, crap. Okay. Oh, you want 200? Yeah, of course we can handle it. You know, and I I took it as he was upset with the amount of money, but he didn't want to look bad in front of the Lord being like, oh no, I could. So I agree with Ferg. but but unless you're completely broke it's all kind of a wash right like under normal circumstances you're cashing that check and that's instantly going to your account anyway so you're just doing the legwork for someone else you know in that you're going to the bank for him so he doesn't have to it's a prestige move yeah yeah but also at this time too gordo to your to your thoughts on the economy right so 1975 in england the economy is terrible and there's a character who walks by he talks to a couple times called the major Mm -hmm. so again you don't know if he's gonna be a character or not you assume later on he's going to be because they just call him the major and they have obviously a rapport yeah but they even mention the labor strikes going on right so you can even look at just going through in a musical history of thinking of things like you know a year later the sex tools play a benefit at christmas time for kids of striking labor workers right like that's how bad the country was that like whole swaths of the country were unemployed huge parts were striking so i think there's also an underlying thing here that we don't necessarily get because a it's 40 years ago and b it's a different country yeah the class and the money and all of this is because the entire country was pretty much falling apart economically so the idea of cashing this check is more stressful because who knows how much he has in the bank to get by day to day is he gonna have to float this somehow on credit you know That's why he wants these yeah. fancy, classy people here. Because people, regular people aren't even taking holidays as much anymore at this point, right? Because regular people aren't working. So there's a big economic issue to it. When you guys watch this show, when we talk now about, first off, it's, 
you know, 40 years ago. Closer um, to 50 now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at that point, a show from 1975, when you talk about the time distance and then also the fact that it's in a different country from where we grew up, do you find that catching up on both ends, constantly factoring in time and location distracts you? Or are you good with the comedy that you can follow along pretty easy? You I'm know, good with it. I'm, I'm good, good with it. Same. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, the times didn't really. I mean, aside from that, you know, issue with his social class, which you could still have today anyways, you know. It, yeah, no, it was an issue. Did you feel the other way, Jay? Um, Not the whole time. But like maybe with that check cashing scene, there were, like you first have to get to the OK at that time, you know, get back to, you know, ATMs aren't everywhere. So that's how things were done. So that's not really a big issue. And then but I think it was just like a little bit of a mix of that with the class thing. And you have to assume what's going on in England in the 70s. So I don't know, maybe at times some of the jokes didn't hit with me because I'm, I'm doing a little extra brain work. No, not terrible, but just throwing that out there, wondering uh, how you guys felt. And then soon after we end up on another exterior shot where we have the waitress outside and she's coming back. I assumed from the bank, I, I assumed she was the one who was going to cash the check for Basil. Yeah, he, he sends her on the on the errand to go to the bank. Yeah. And, cash and while she's out. While she's out, she runs into Mr. Brown, who's in a car with another guy, and they're scoping out someone who just walked out of the jeweler. And it was kind of took you out because it was a completely different vibe at that point. Yeah. So she gets in the car with them. He whispers some stuff to her, like gives her a little bit of a heads up as to why they're outside. And uh, very, very different field, not only because it was outside, but because everything from what we said before was joke, 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 joke. And now all of a sudden you're like involved in some sort of a crime situation, like, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. It, it was a very drastic switch out of nowhere. Well, did you did I miss this? Did you not talk about the scene outside of the bank? That's what we're talking about now. But yeah. I just just said. Oh, I thought you were talking about her outside the hotel when she came back. No, no, no. Oh, okay, yeah, no. All right. So I but just, she goes in the car down. with Mr. Brown. Yeah. I like that okay. it's almost like a get Carter, like a Michael Caine 70s British crime movie. It changes gears completely, but also I like that you don't quite get what's happening at first. You don't know if he's a bad guy and he's trying to pull into the car. Does he have a gun? You see people walking out towards the jewelry thing. shop. I thought, he, I thought he was casing the bank. Right. They like mislead you to that, which I think is is uh, an interesting way to go about it. Right. That's yeah something you wouldn't expect in this kind of uh, a comedy. That wasn't really where my brain went at that point, to be honest with you. When I saw that, as soon as she got in the car, yeah. I instantly thought like, oh, this guy is he's some sort of an officer. Like there's something going on. I thought the same thing up until he waved her to the car. Then I was like, okay, that's not what this is. Yeah. Jay, I'm just going to tell you right now, you should not be that trusting to anybody who tells you they're a cop or you think might be a cop. And <laughs> they go poorly for you well, well, we have to think it's the seventies and then it's a different country. So you have to factor both of those things. Like I said, and you have to readjust to the times and the class. We're just saying for now, be careful. Yeah. No, in my experiences, every cop car that I've been in was clearly marked as a cop car and <laughs> I did not go on my own accord, but um, now what if they guys... left you in the cop car and the cop left, but he left the cop car in neutral and it went careening down the street with a bunch of your friends in the back of it, expecting all to uh, crash into traffic and die. Didn't Sting and Bret Hart steal a, a cop car at one point? Sting and Bret Hart? Yeah. I, I don't recall I that. I'm unaware of that. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, and Sting was down with RoboCop, so he wouldn't do that. When did yeah, they... Sting is definitely pro-police. I mean, he's got RoboCop as a good friend of his. I'm pretty sure Goldberg's a cop. <laughs> and they didn't really even work together until like 2000 or like 99. <laughs> like it didn't. I don't know if the timeline would have really worked. So sorry for those of you who aren't, um, you know, wrestling nerds like us, because that that's probably a very confusing last few minutes. Not not Sting from the police. 
Yeah, if we picked any wrestler who didn't have a name of somebody who was more famous <laughs> in the non-wrestling world. Like, okay, England, Sting. Yeah, if we said like a more important, more famous wrestler, like, I don't know, Nails, people would have got it better. Yeah, that, yeah, of course. He, well, yeah. he's the opposite of a police officer, though, so that's kind of confusing, too, to the last conversation. It but... was Sting and Lex Luger, okay? okay. I just mixed up. Yeah, I don't know why I thought Bret Hart. That makes more, the pairing yeah. makes more, the story I'm still yeah. unaware of, but uh, it makes more sense now. Yep. That, was, that was WCW before I watched. I don't think so. That sounds, I mean, Sting Luger came back in, what, 97? Oh my God, this is turning into a different podcast. All, of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. all right, let's let's reel this back a little bit. All right, so now we now we see Polly is, um, she comes back in and she's trying to tell Basil what's going on. So the fact that Mr. Brown filled her in with something and then now she's running in and trying to tell Basil what's going on. Like at that point, I would assume Mr. Brown's the good guy in the situation. Plus we did see like a suspicious person walking out of a, a jeweler. Did yeah, you know, you know what my, my guess was like be, before like it all came i figured that he was actually the lord and the other guy was just broke or his servant i was like way off obviously but like you're going like that, coming to america thing yeah i thought it was gonna just be like oh don't judge a book by its cover i'm not coming here again with the way you treated so, me and i'm like oh no that like, actually goes back to one of the notes i had I don't think this show is meant to be. I know it goes against what we do on the show. I don't think this show is really meant to be as analyzed. You know what I mean? I think oh, no. it's it's slapsticky. Like it's a short British comedy and it's just it, it wasn't meant to be, you know. What if it was a hotel run by dinosaurs? Could we analyze it then? Yeah, he could. As long as it wasn't cavemen, I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll eventually do a caveman episode. We've talked about this before, episode two, when we did dinosaurs. I really need to wait long enough so that you guys aren't in this headspace that you guys have been in for the last few weeks where you want to dislike it. Because I think with enough time when you watch it, you're going to come to love that show. So as much as I'm sure everyone listening wants us to do cavemen as soon as possible, I'm sorry, we're going to have to wait a little bit because I really want the other guys sitting here to be, you know, of open mind and heart when we've been a few weeks it's been a decade of not wanting to watch that show anymore you ever known me to change my mind once it's made up so uh at this point we finally see the bar scene i was talking about earlier it's a small bar and again there's no like bartender it looks like basil is in charge of the desk the restaurant and the bar which uh a little dumb yeah you think they'd have at least one person working the bar but in any event um he's in there uh, when Lord Melbury's there, he's uh, admiring his coin collection. Was it? It was a coin collection. Yes. Yeah, it was a, a coin collection. One thing: the bar is my favorite part of this whole set altogether. I want to be in this bar so badly. The go uh, to any hotel bar and you're in that. No, that bar looks like no bar I've ever been in before. And the one of my favorite things too is instead of taps, there's full liquor bottles suspended upside down with little spigots yes. you spin, and the liquor comes out. I was obsessed with how the bar looked plus in the corner there's a little slot machine like everything about it like you can imagine spending a couple hours there i just i want to yeah. go i just want to go through the tv and hang out there yeah i'm, I'm trying to like it's weird because as i saw it it seemed familiar to me i can't place myself in a specific there's, there's place a lot of that bars. Like it. There's, there's like hotels like that in um north conway a few places i've stayed they've had hotel bars that were exactly like that yeah i didn't what about the what about that place joe aside from those two things that was kind of stood out to you is not something you could find around here i think i mean maybe it's just nothing looks like 1975 england so much anymore i think it was the, the overall aesthetic of it i love so much Those... doesn't look like, like... yeah i think yeah, it's... Right. No, but i'm not saying that i'm sad bars don't look like that i'm just saying the idea that that's not something we have here right. whether it's by time or by location it i think made part... me want to go there 
Do you see a more familiar like to that bar when you're at smaller, smaller hotels or bed and breakfast type places yeah, like, that have low occupancy? Like that's the kind of places you'll see a bar like that where it looks like a converted home where yeah. like that bar was probably the living room until they turned it into a hotel, you know? Yeah. Mm. But that building seems like it has a this was somebody's like like a lord for example's house yeah. right yeah and now they've converted it because exactly. i think what stands out is like especially for bars around here compared to this one is that there's nobody at it right there was what six people in this bar yeah you know and it's just like everybody's kind of off quiet in their own area and that well, would be talked about earlier in the episode i think they have 22 rooms i think that's what yeah. was early yeah. in the episode so when you have 22 rooms you know and if they're all full under, you know, rare circumstances, which it sounds like they're very seldom full. Yeah. How many people are really sitting in that hotel at any given time? 40 people, 50 people, if they were full? Well, I was also yeah. going to say, too, it, like any other smaller hotel or anything like that, you know, you have dining hours and you have bar hours. So, yeah, I just kind of imagine, you know, OK, check ins already done. Dinner service is already done. So now I can go and, you know, do the bar, work the bar. Because, uh, I mean, I, I'm picturing that Basil and his wife live there. Like, I, I imagine that they're, they all live in that hotel. Yeah, I imagine they have a suite that they live in. Oh, there is also have suites. There, <laughs> there is also a point where he checks his watch and he goes, oh, it's six o'clock already. So I think that's when his shift changes from lobby to bartender. And I think maybe even the bar itself just opens at six. Right. So I don't think it was open the whole time and he wasn't just he was just ignoring it. it. That was just when he was supposed to go over and start. Yeah, that could be yeah. a reason why they don't have a bartender on staff necessarily. But, you know, maybe for their own sake, it, it would help to have a, a few extra hands on other than just Manuel working there and the waitress. Right. So the, you have the waitress, Manuel, and then Basil and his wife. That's pretty much everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's weird. I was trying to think of that as like a it's weird. They don't open the bar till six or anything like that. And I was thinking I went to I had to do a work trip to Florida last year and there was, it was a pretty nice hotel. Nicer than this, I guess, by whatever standards. And there was a big bar in it. And I was like, oh, we got there. We've been flying all day. I want to go get a drink. And they were like, oh, the bar doesn't open till six. And I was totally thrown off by that. Then they told me to go across the street to the bikini bar, which was open <laughs> at every hour as made the most sense. But also it was buy one, get one free beer. So nice. So Right around this point is when we kind of realize how everything's going, right? All the reveals are kind of coming up at this point. So after after Lord Melbury is convincing Basil to get his coins reappraised and that he might do it for him. So then, which seems odd, right? The fact that like this guy of higher stature would be like, oh, I'll just just give me all your coins. I'll, I'll do you this favor. Like, even though they've never met and he'd probably realistically never be in that area again. We're starting to find out what's going on. And as it turns, Lord Milbury is a con man. He's not, you know, a lord at all. He's Wait, uh, is he a con man or what do they call him? Because one of the things I loved so much about confidence this is, man, which is what a con confidence man is short trickster. For. A confidence trickster, the most beautiful British <laughs> phrasing confidence ever. Trickster. He's a grifter. So um and also so, the cop is not Mr. Brown's not a detective. He's with the CID. The CID, the criminal investigation department. Everything they say is so much better than the way we say it. Yeah, it is. It really. And mm. you know what, too, is the callback to the wife questioning the Lord before anybody else. Yep. Yeah, because he mentions his tatted bags before because mm -hmm. he's just so obsessed with him being a Lord. He doesn't care. And then she points that out, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, because he was so obsessed with just the idea of having people of a certain class that like really his judgment is off. He just we saw that earlier, too. Right. With Mr. Brown, it's just, it just goes back to that whole judging a book by its cover. 
Mr. Brown was someone who actually is, you know, with a respectable job and he disregarded him immediately, you know, where Lord Milbury is a con man and was easily swindled by just the, uh, the false title that he gave him and then waited on him hand and foot over every other person at the hotel. So then we, his, it was his wife, right. Who then grabs his briefcase of the expensive belongings that they were, you know, keeping in the safe for him. And we find out that it was just two bricks. <laughs> and this is perfect because this is where he finally completely loses it. And I think right, the best stuff Cleese does. Yeah. yeah. When I was yeah. watching another thing, I said, I was like, Ferg probably, I don't know if Ferg will like this show or not, but I know Ferg will like this. You scene. bastard. Yeah, he calls him a bastard <laughs> multiple times. He tells him when he, when he, he hopes his head gets him, knocked off by a golf ball. Him, like, he's just losing it. Laughing. <laughs> that Ferg? Oh, I said when he kicked him, when the cops had him, I lost oh. it. Like, but he asks yeah. for one more. <laughs> the cops yeah, one, more. one more time. Like one more. This is yeah. the my favorite scene. He just loses his mind. The golf ball line's great. <laughs> yeah. But he so... bites the check. I lost my mind. <laughs> that was great. Oh, so that whole, great. That, the whole climax was awesome. No, I love when he when he took the bricks out of the briefcase finally and he's inspecting them just in awe that they are actually in fact yeah. bricks. <laughs> he like held them up like against his face and he's like, you know, <laughs> clink like, them together. Back. So I wonder, you know, I wonder if they were his bricks from the callback from earlier, the wall he was supposed to have built. Oh, just I was just going to say, yeah, it's a callback yeah. to he talks to the mason who just dr- dumped all the bricks in his property. <laughs> I was sending the impression you were actually going to build a wall. <laughs> so to explain this to everyone, you know, who hasn't watched this before, what we're just talking about. Uh, basically, Basil finally confronts Lord Melbury and lets him know that, like, I know who you really are. I know that you're not really a lord. And show brings up the fact that, like, I know that your briefcase had bricks in it because Lord Melbury was, you know, he was holding on strong. He wasn't going to crack and tell him. And then once he exposed that, you know, uh, did you have bricks in your bag or essentially whatever, however he delivered it? Then he makes <laughs> a, a run for it. And that's when the cops come and they tackle him down. And yeah, Basil just running up and giving him a quick kick was probably my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> That's like that was physical comedy that was like done right and made sense, right? Like he's mad at someone with reason and like, you know, under no circumstances should you assault, you know, a person when the cops are already involved, like and um it's being handled, but he was betrayed by him and he was so mad that he had to let his aggressions out. (laughs) I was gonna say the other key thing that makes this scene really funny too is the actual lord and lady of the of the show that was supposed to be there actually the is in the lobby with yeah, yeah, while all this commotion up. is happening yeah yes which causes them to decide to stay elsewhere they they're like forget this we're we're done and they just take off and uh you know, we didn't get into it too much. There was a, the constant callback with the picture. We brought it up before, but like the hang in the picture thing was like a nonstop joke. And right before, was it right before the the scene where he had to go into the bar? When did he finally lose it and smash that's, that? That's, that's the, the very, very end. end. Was it it's right the last the, scene? The that's it's when like you the get the last one. The bar patrons come back in and ask for the drink when they ask for the gin, orange, oh, the lemon squash, and the correct. scotch and water. He just smashes the painting. He's finally <laughs> done with it, which is a great button, right? That was, that finally... was another laugh. Yeah, it was, and they did a good job with that they the jokes weren't lost anything that was brought up earlier they kind of readdress and there were a lot of subtle callbacks too so i thought the show did a really good job with keeping those running themes alive throughout the episode and that was definitely like the final one like you know we said the the drinks that were asked of him to make you know seven times that he just kept you know getting you know called in other directions and just kept forgetting yeah that all led to other callback joke which was the hanging up uh, of the painting so they did a pretty good job there and that's basically it that's the whole show any final Final thoughts on just that show things that we didn't touch on yet that you guys wanted to bring up 
Uh, one other thing I love during the John Cleese freak out at the end is he calls them snobs. Like oh, he, goes through, <laughs> he goes through the whole thing about wanting all these higher class people and he just cracks again and yells snobs at them. It's so perfect. Also, um, what bothered me was I understand kind of why he didn't like, uh, what's his name, Mr. Brown. But then in the end, he saved his business and it saved him from losing all that money. And he still like pushes him aside when he offers to buy him a drink because he feels bad for him and stuff. And he's just like a dude. He just really hates this guy for no reason. Yeah. I don't understand <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, most people would think at least thank that guy a little bit or take the free drink either way. Especially I, out of one of those cool upside down bottle twisty things. I would take that drink oh, all day long. You're going to buy me one of my own drinks, you jerk. <laughs> the, the, the only other thing that I wanted to touch on, and we talked about the grapefruit when he threw it. <laughs> my first real laugh in the show is when before he threw it, he picks it up off the floor and dusts it off and yeah. puts it back on the plate. <laughs> it killed me. There's a lot of great laughs. Uh, this is, yeah, this was, there's a lot of fun in this. So I guess at this point, there's nothing left to do but go around and decide if this is a show that we want to greenlight or cancel. So I'm going to go in the order that I see you on my screen. So starting off with Gordo, I think I already know the answer, but greenlight or cancel? Greenlight. Uh, I enjoy slapstick humor. Uh, none of this was lost on me. I laughed throughout this whole episode. I like the idea of this show being set at a hotel. I think that, you know, we've talked in the past about being introduced to what's the perfect amount of characters to be introduced to. And I think that this was the right amount of characters with the right amount of substance. And because it was in a hotel setting, we don't know if the major is going to be there or if another Lord is going to come or what have you. So the culmination of everything is the reason why I would give it, you know, a green light. You know, it's a great show. Timeless. It's classic. Nick, how do you feel? Green light cancel. So my, my problem with the show was that it felt like a really long skit more than it did an episodic TV show. So I didn't know how much you could really get out of this. And I realized that's what made me want to watch more of it, because if they could keep going with this, then, yes, I do think it could be an interesting show to watch. Uh, I agree with Gordo that there was a good amount of characters, you know, main characters. And I'd be curious to see the clientele that comes through there and what it does to Basil. So I would greenlight it. I do. I want to see more. And I think I am going to actually watch more of it. Ferg, how do you feel? So I was really on the fence with this one for most of it, where I was like enjoying it, but I wasn't sure. The whole last section of, of that put me over the edge and it definitely gets a green light from me. I um I think Basil's just so hateable. I want to see more bad things happen to him. So green light. Joe. Yeah, I agree with everybody. Uh, definitely a green light. I love the build. I love watching him simmer and finally explode. And I love waiting for it. Cleese is amazing in it. The cast is great. I love everything about the, the location and what everything looks like. I'm obsessed with that bar. Um, I laughed so much throughout this. You know, with no knowledge of previous seasons or episodes or everything like that, I would green light this in a heartbeat. I think that watching John Cleese do this every week would be a lot of fun. Well, that leaves me and... So I think this show did a lot of things right. And I think the way they call back to jokes and having running themes was done really well. I do think a lot of the characters were well-defined, but ultimately for me, I'm the only guy who's going to be canceling it apparently. 
it just didn't hit with me. I think Nick nailed it though. When he said it felt like a skit. And I think that's what I didn't like about it is that I just didn't feel like this needed to be a, a long format show like that. And I was trying to explain it earlier where the, the way the sets were, I was, I was kind of rambling on. And I think ultimately what I wanted to say is what Nick said. It just kind of felt like a long SNL skit and I didn't think it needed to be a whole show. So for that reason, it just didn't work with me entirely. I was getting, I was finding myself bored at points. The end I thought was great. I really did like things about the show, but yeah, for me, it's a no, it's a cancel, but that really doesn't matter because we're on a four to one here. So congratulations to Faulty Towers. You continue on, you are going to get the green light from us. So that's it for us this week. Thanks everybody for listening. You can find us on social media. All the links you can find at s1e1pod.com. Also, s1e1pod is our Instagram, Twitter, and you can find us on multiple other social medias that way. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and we will catch you again next week. Thanks. You snobs. Bastards.